It's Behind the Headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I am executive editor of the Express News Group, uh, which we publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website's 27east.com and sagharborexpress.com. With me is my co-host, Bill Sutton, who is managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And with us today on the panel to discuss the week's headlines uh, locally are Bridget Leroy. She is the managing editor of the James Lane Post. Hey, Bridget. Morning, Joe. Good to have you. Uh, Denise Civiletti, editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. And we have our own Stephen Coates, who is a staff writer at the Express News Group. Good morning, Steve. Good all right so let's uh what do we want to talk about the big news this week probably uh there's this thing called COVID. really and i don't know if you guys have heard of it but it seems like it's a fairly big story uh the 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 new thing this week i feel like it's two fronts um one is that we have to be looking ahead to fall and wondering how the fall uh is going to go considering the numbers uh locally and nationally have been getting worse gradually uh, this summer. But also as school starts uh, this coming week, for the most part, I think some kids actually went back to school uh, just in the last couple of days. Uh, They're going back to school locally with masks on, uh, thanks to a state mandate uh, that the new governor, Kathy Hochul, put into place. Uh, But all the local school districts were pretty much getting ready to require masks to begin with. So let's start with the masks. Um, Denise, what's... You had a bit of a reaction to the mask policy in Riverhead, as we did in some other districts down on South Fork as well, right? Oh, just itsy bitsy, you know. Um, <laughs> it's um, so the uh, the Riverhead School Board actually at its uh, last meeting in August um, imposed a you know they adopted a policy requiring indoor universal indoor masking uh, for all their buildings and. Um, that was adopted on the recommendation of a brand new superintendent who really kind of jumped into a cauldron uh, here. Um, but to his credit, he, uh, you know, he did the, a, a very brave thing, I think, because he was faced with a, an auditorium, uh, not full, but with a lot of people there who for about two hours complained at the, uh, you know, about masks and told them they better not do this. Um, and um, he made that recommendation, and then the school board, uh, in a four to three, you know, split vote, um, approved the, the reopening plan that he recommended, including this masking policy. Uh, a couple of days later, the new governor imposed that statewide uh, mandate, or said she was directing the health department to do that. And um, so that's where that it was. And then this past school board meeting the other night. It was like an instant, not an instant replay, but, you know, deja vu and, uh, you know, sorry, I didn't need to. You did, Denise, I just wanted to say that if, if anybody hasn't read the story on Riverhead Local, they should go take a look at that story. I think you did an excellent job of presenting their their arguments, but then debunking them when, when you could. And I think that's really important for us to, yeah. to yeah, do I mean, to present yeah. the facts. Hats off to our new reporter, Alec Lewis, um, for... Um, doing the heavy lifting with that, um, that um, people, you know, thank you. Um, you know, we, we worked hard on, on that. And um, that night, I actually, uh, as the meeting ended, I 
Alec was in the auditorium. I was watching from home because there's something wrong with me. I don't know. But um, <laughs> it's what we do, Denise. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so so um, that night I actually submitted the FOIL request online <laughs> to the school district asking for some of the do- asking for the documents that some of the people handed up to the school board uh, with all of these studies. And um, so then we got those documents and kind of unfortunately, you know, sort of late in the afternoon. But we uh, we we worked to. Uh, look up the sources. One of them was like a whole bunch of links and statements without any attribution to it. Uh, kind of like as if the person who handed it to the school board actually wrote it. Um, so like I Googled some phrases from that document and located this paper. And that's, so we, we wrote about that and, and we talked about, you know, how do you, like, what do you do? Like when people are making publicly making false statements, citing what I call pseudoscience, I call that what is known as pseudoscience. Um, you know, I think it's, a, it's uh, malpractice to just, you know, report what they say and not, you know, present the facts and the truth, especially when it's something like a public health crisis like this. And um, it's interesting because that's that's a question that comes up at the national and even yeah. international level with journalists. Um, you know, you give the, the two sides argument, which, of course, we always try and do. But there's a point where where balance is probably not required when someone is spouting information that's just provably inaccurate and and dangerous in a situation like this. I also found, Bridget, Bridget, I found it interesting that Kathy Hochul, the new the new governor, um, enacted not only the mask ban, but also she spoke this week about the fact that she's going to require testing weekly of staff members who are not vaccinated. And she said that she took those steps in part after meeting with school officials who told her, please do this for us so that we don't have to fight these battles at the local level. And, and Denise just outlined what's happened in Riverhead. We've seen similar flare-ups at some of the other districts locally. Um, this, this action by the governor um, really takes care of a lot of, a, a lot of these little small brush fires flaring up at the local level, right? Not, I, I mean, I don't see that it necessarily does. I mean, it, it in theory, that's what I, I truly believe should happen. But um, what if you are opposed to it, you're going to push back harder, you know? So that's that's the problem, I think, is that people see it as being, uh, you know, uh, that, that their rights are being taken away or whatever. I mean, and again, I mean, I'm just, you know, don't shoot the messenger here. I'm a... Uh, I'm fully vaccinated, um, but I, uh, you know, it is, it is, I just went to a place, I went to a party the other night in Port Jeff with like five people, really respectable, wonderful people, house on the water in Port Jeff, gorgeous. And as we're eating dinner, it comes about that nobody I'm sitting with is vaccinated or wearing a mask. Um. And, And they were not you know, uh, they, they weren't what I expected as in terms of the of people who would, you know, have guns on the wall and animal trophies or whatever. They weren't that they were like normal people who just felt like their rights were being imposed, uh, impinged on. So, you know, and I <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness, for me, um, I just can't understand how how um, how you can walk around and not be terrified, especially with the Delta variant. I mean, I have three friends on the East End who've, who've come down with COVID in the last two weeks. 
Yeah, and it's it's we've seen some breakthrough cases, although they remain very rare. Uh, but they're they're happening because there are, there are so many people in the United States, and that spreads it around. Steve, as we look to the fall, um, what does all this portend for the fall? Because numbers are already worsening. And, uh, you know, as kids go back to school and a lot of the kids are unvaccinated, uh, there are still some measures in place. I think they've they've taken down the barriers because there's some debate over whether the plexiglass barriers that they were using in some school districts actually were helping or hurting. Uh, But uh, the kids will be masked. But, you know, what what do you what what's your thoughts about the fall? How bad do you think it's going to get? I, I think it's going to get somewhat worse. I don't think it's going to be an all out uh, crazy pandemic like it was last time. Uh, and I, I think. What do you COVID, think the difference is? I think COVID is with us forever. I think we're going to be getting booster shots for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Do you think that, why, why do you think it's going to, why don't you think it's going to be worse this fall? Because I think there's just enough people vaccinated. It's out here, especially, you know. I'm not I'm not laying any bets for Texas or Alabama, you know, or Mississippi. Florida. Yeah, I mean, but well, we already know what's happening there. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nobody would take yeah. that. <laughs> what do we think about the what do we think about the fall, Denise? Do you I mean the numbers have been sort of gradually getting worse this summer at a time when uh, I guess people were inside a lot because of air conditioning because of the there was some pretty extreme heat at different times of, of the summer. But in theory, summer last year was was when, hey, we were we were all hopeful that was going to be the end of it. Uh, and this yeah. year, summer actually brought a little bit of a worse situation. Yeah, I think um, we are right about now. I mean, I haven't done and not like, you know, updated my own spreadsheets in two days now. But last time I did, um, we were like right where we were on Thanksgiving last year. Like Mm. last summer, our our numbers, our positive cases and hospitalizations and such were nowhere near what they are right now. I did a little little chart and, uh, you know, we had uh, a 0.5% positive test result on August 27, 2020 and 4.4% on August 27th this year. Hospitalizations, the difference in hospitalizations went from 45 to 226 from August mm. 2020 of this year. Uh, new admissions on a daily basis went from five on that date to 35. Um, Good Lord. People in ICU tripled. Um, you know, it's, you know, if where it was in November and, you know, if it, if it plays out, I have uh, a friend who's a trained epidemiologist who says, you know, the reason why things are going crazy down south, in addition to the low um, vaccination rates, is that, um, you know, they're indoors now because it's so hot, as you pointed out, and, and they're inside. And when people start going inside because of cooler weather and socializing inside um, or in crowded, like, say, you know, outdoor tents and things like that, they're still kind of in that environment where you're exchanging air with other people, um, it's going to spike. So, you know, unless it worked, unless it spends itself between now and, you know, the holidays, um, which I think, you know, and and my friend thinks is very unlikely, um, it's, uh, you know, not going to look good. I I don't know. I mean, um, right now, obviously, the um, people who are getting these breakthrough infections, I think a lot of people don't even know they have them because they're, they're mild, you know, 
Um, but I think that there's enough people, certainly in, in, in this area where I am, there are, you know, our, our um, you know, vaccination rate is among the lower, uh, on the lower end of the spectrum on Long Island. Um, also, like when, when they throw out these numbers, like, you know, 80%, I got the thing from the county executive, 80% of adults are, uh, you know, have one dose. And I say to that big whooping deal, like, what does one dose do? You have two doses in this, you know, number one. And number two, he's talking 18 and older. You know, there are over 200,000 kids who are under age 12 and can't get vaccinated in Suffolk County. And the kids from 12 to 17 who can get vaccinated for one reason or another aren't getting vaccinated. So, you know, when you add all, when you factor all those numbers in, all those folks in, it's our number, we're like around 60% fully vaccinated. I'll say this to local officials will will say off the record that they're a little skeptical. I, I know some of the numbers on the South Fork were astronomically high, like approaching 100 yeah. percent. And a lot of the local officials may not say it publicly, but they're a little skeptical uh, that it's possible that it's that high. And it may have to do with the influx of folks from the city. You know, uh, Steve mentioned the booster shots. I want to I want to talk about the fact that the World Health Organization has actually raised the, the question of whether there's a there's a moral question of industrialized nations like the United States offering a third shot, a booster shot uh, to folks who have been vaccinated while so much of the world and frankly, so much of this country remains unvaccinated. What do you guys think of that? Is there going to be uh, a kind of a backlash potentially to getting booster shots? Bridget, you look like you're Oh no, I, I I was I was eagerly awaiting to hear what Steve Coates was going to say about this, but <laughs> um, but sure, if you want I mean, my opinion, <laughs> uh, that's what no, you're I, here I, for. I, right, right. It, I'll tell you what I really think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I kind of agree with that. I think that that um, I do know people who have already had the booster shot uh, on the East End, and I do think that it. Um, it's kind of an unfair divide between us and the countries where they're still like desperately waiting the countries, you know, in Africa and stuff like that, where they're desperately waiting for, for the first shot. And, um, you know, it, it, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's a good idea for us to, to move forward with it, but I also understand, and, you know, Denise talking about the kids 12 to, 7, uh, 12 to 17 being vaccinated, but not kids under 11. There's just so much we still don't know, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that's really um, frightening. And I think of, you know, I, I mean, I have a, I have a smallpox, you know, vaccine. And I think that everybody like lined up willingly to to get smallpox vaccines, to get polio vaccines, to get all these other vaccines. And um you know, and, and and eventually it became worldwide. I mean, we were able to eradicate basically smallpox, you know, eradicate polio. And but I agree with with Coates where he says that this is going to be around for a long time. It, it's become obviously politicized and now it's become politicized on a global level. So, right. Steve, will you have any hesitation to get a booster shot for moral reasons? Uh, no. Am I going to eat dinner tonight? You know, or not eat dinner tonight for moral reasons that there's billions of people starving. No, um, I mean, I, mean, I think I, I, I agree with Steve. I, you know, my dad got his booster shot. He's in he's in South Carolina and he just walked in and 
on a whim got it the other day. And, you know, I think when it's my time, I'm going to go get my shot too. I, I think that um, certainly, you know, every, everybody in, in those, in those countries and on those continents where people can't get the vaccine, we need to, to work hard as a global community to make sure that, that they get their vaccines. But I, I don't know that, um, that we need to sacrifice at, at the same time. We're a nation where, where people are, are, you know, um, turning their faces on it and not getting vaccinated and, and all that. So maybe, you know, maybe there, there is some justification to, uh, you know, to make sure that, that, you know, everybody gets vaccinated. Oh, I mean, also I, means the, and I will get my booster shot. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I will get my booster shot, but I do see the, uh, the inequality in it, you know, and I understand from, from a global perspective that it doesn't seem fair. I also, I mean, you, there, there are no walls against that you can put up that will keep out viruses, right? I mean, when you think about, you know, the, the variant that's ravaging the world right now and uh, parts of our country here, uh, it originated in largely unvaccinated India. And look what happened in India. It was a catastrophe. Um, viruses are opportunistic. They evolve to, to be successful. They've got to do that, right? So, um, you know, the next virus is coming from somewhere uh, where there's a rampant, raging, you know, pandemic happening that's like 10 times worse than the worst place we have here. And that's going to affect us eventually. Like if you're just, you know, thinking about us here, you know, eventually that's going to affect us. So I think the bigger question is how do we get the rest of the world vaccinated and, you know, and not and taking, the rest of, not taking the rest a third of the country. shot. Yeah. And not taking a third shot here isn't going to, you know, put a shot in an arm in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa or whatever. You know, it's a, that's not how it works, unfortunately. But, um, you know, how do we how do we do that? And are we capable of doing that? Um, Before we leave the topic, Denise, social media and we talked about the masking and the, the myths about masking and how they circulate. Um, and we also Denise's had favorite topic, social media. <laughs> we, we also had an incident this past week where there was a flare up on social media where there were there someone started to to say that that the local hospitals were filling up, that the 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 ICUs for covid were full and that that all the beds were full, uh, which turned out not to be true. It, it makes all of this so much more challenging, doesn't it? We're in the uh, you know, we talk about the influenza outbreak. And we talk about the polio vaccine. And we talk about all this stuff. None of those happened at a time when we had this ability for virulent information to spread like a virus in such an easy way on social media. So true. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't, there's, there's no good answer to that because things just keep popping up. <laughs> you know, yeah. false information just comes up and spreads like, you know, like, like a virus, like you said, I mean, it's, um, I don't know what, can be done like what we can do about that other than just keep trying to report the facts and you know i mean none of us has the time to sit and kind of argue with people on social media doesn't um, do any good if you do it doesn't and you know but I, I you know i don't know we just have to keep doing our jobs the way we do it the best to the best of our ability and try to get you know the facts out there 
I we don't know. Ad- we should adopt. We should adopt that as our motto. No good answers here. At, uh, <laughs> behind the headlines. But that's a, that's a fact too, you know. <laughs> on WLIWFM, I'm Joe Shaw from the Express News Group. Bill Sutton of the Express News Group is my co-host. Our panel today is Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Bridget Leroy of the James Lane Post. And Stephen Coates, who is our staff writer at the Express News Group. Denise, let's talk a little bit about Riverhead. I was up there uh, this week, and the amount of building that's going on in Riverhead is is really stunning. And there may be more coming. Is that correct? Yeah, I was going to break out into that. You, know, you ain't seen nothing yet, but I can't really think very well. Um, and well, you know, it's stunning compared to, you know, it was a sleepy little place that didn't have a lot of building going on. Um, and, um, but, but yeah, I mean, so there's, there's the, the one, uh, five-story building on East main street, um, which is at the moment adjoins a, a, a much larger vacant property that has, a, a, another large apartment building application pending. Um, and then th- there is, um, there's, was another application put in for a four-story apartment building directly across the side street from the existing five-story building um, on a one-eighth of an acre lot. So I'm not sure how that works, but uh, that came in to town hall or they presented it at town hall a week or two ago. Um, there is a, a, there, there are a couple of other multi-story apartment buildings on uh, more west of, of there uh, by Peconic Avenue. And... Um, and then there is another, uh, you know, when you come into Riverhead by uh, Nugent Drive um, and, you know, like 24 and it's Court Street. There's an eternal flame there, you know, at the Historical Society and um, up the block on the corner of Court and Osborne. There is this kind of derelict building um, that uh, has been vacant for quite some time and um, is an eyesore and a blight. And um, people, developers from Huntington are looking to put a five-story um, mixed-use, you know, apartment building with ground floor offices, et cetera, on that spot. Turns out to make that work for them, they require nine variances from the zoning code that was just adopted this year by the town board to um, incentivize these kinds of developments in the Railroad Avenue area, which is a, an urban renewal zone. Um, and so I would say since that's an urban renewal zone, you can count on there being more to come because they've adopted this zoning to um, allow it. Um, there is a currently a municipal parking lot that uh, the town put in at the request of the county or as a condition of the county years ago, uh, adding, court, adding courtrooms uh, to the Suffolk Supreme Court. And the town is now has issued a request for expressions of interest <laughs> For a, a developer, a master developer, to uh, you to take that to develop that property with structured parking, like indoor parking, and then you know a proposal for whatever the you know developer is seeking to do. Wow. Uh, the it town is a, it's a real <laughs> lot. It's a real <laughs> the town is also about to bulldoze a couple of vacant buildings, long vacant buildings at Sweezy Department Store buildings on uh, East Main Street that the town bought uh, in a multi-million dollar transaction with um, this, uh, a, a company that owned, owned that property. 
and they're going to, they bought three buildings. They're going to build bulldoze two of them to make a town square. And they're looking for a developer to um, do something with that. Uh, with, and it's going to include the third building that they bought, which uh, is a, an office building currently. And that's on uh, right next to the little East End Arts Council, uh, 1700, uh, uh, 17, oh my God, help me out. 17, it was built in the 18th century. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm fumbling here. But, but um, so I, my guess is that the developer that's going to come in and develop this town square with like shops and things is what the vision, you know, looks like right now um, is, is going to want to do something along the, these same lines because, you know, people want housing, it's lucrative. And, and I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen those proposals yet, but. I would imagine that right after the supervisor gets down from the bulldozer with, for the photo ops <laughs> coming uh, in about a month, I think. Uh, um, Denise, Denise, is this all happening with a with an overall plan in mind? Does River have have an idea of where this is all headed, or is it just piecemeal development? Well, I mean, there are two plans right now. One is a more recently adopted plan that was adopted this year. Um, called a transit-oriented development strategic plan for the Railroad Avenue uh, urban renewal area. And um, that's to, you know, I don't wanna get too much into my opinions about that, but, but it's, it's, it's a plan to, to uh, develop that area, which is, you know, historically it's been, you know, a, a depressed area. It's like, it's, it, needs, it needs a lot of work. Like, I, you know, so kudos to the town for trying to address this. And, you know, um, there are. It, it, it makes sense a little bit having it near the, the train station, at least the, the Court okay. Avenue proposal. Right. But OK, but except I, we don't have trains. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, transit oriented development requires transit. And but, like, but if you build it, they'll come. Right. Yeah, I don't know. About that. Is there uh, is there any any plans for an overall traffic study? And I'm thinking again of that Court Street property. I mean, I'll set it at that light, you know, for, for three cycles, sometimes when traffic is, is really bad there. And um, I, I, you know, and I imagine during the heaviest times, you're going to have people, um, you know, arriving or, or leaving from that building. If you've got five stories of apartments there, I don't, and it's just a traffic nightmare now. I don't know, moving forward. Is, you know, Bill, good point. I mean, a number, a number of years ago, the town had a traffic study done as part of that uh, BOA project study, the uh, Brownfield Opportunity Zone. We have more studies and, uh, and um, you know, they gave that intersection an F. Okay. It was like, you know, a grade of F because it was that dysfunctional. And they said to, the way to fix it was to kind of like change it, reroute it. They said the same thing about the intersection at Potomac Avenue. Um, but that's not going to happen. I mean, are you talking? It's Bridget. Sorry. I are, are you oh, talking? Sorry. No, no. I'm just curious. Are you talking about the intersection where you have to do that weird kind of jug handle? I'm not quite sure, like which way the traffic's coming from, like by Court Street. Going yeah, it's, near, yeah. it's yeah. near there. Yeah, you have to kind uh, of that one left to go straight. Yeah. Yeah, coming. I I come from uh, yeah. 
whatever, Lakeland or whatever. It's, it's not called Lakeland, but you know what I mean, Lakewood Drive or whatever. And and then I come around and, and go to 24 on the circle and stuff. And then I have to like veer this way. It is really, really, I mean, I'm surprised there aren't accidents there more often. Imagine being somebody who's not familiar with that traffic pattern trying to go through that area. Yeah. I mean, it would. it's very strange. Well, so well, the, well, the good thing is traffic is so slow that you really have time yes. to figure it out as you're moving. <laughs> I just do a, a, a little PSA right here, which is if you're in a roundabout, you don't stop. Oh, please. Let them <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I, I do take this opportunity every time I'm on this show to say that because never. it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, I think they do that in New Jersey. What? Every time I'm in a roundabout, I pretend that I'm in England and I go the other way just to shake. <laughs> We're like, isn't it Chevy Chase, right, in uh, National Lampoon's? It's like going around forever. It's nighttime, right? Big Ben Parliament. Um, Denise, so Riverhead's going to solve our the East End's uh, affordable housing crisis, I guess, right? Because I think it's funny because I feel like on the South Fork, we're looking at you with wide eyes going, where is all of that going to go? And and Riverhead at least will allow multi-level buildings where that couldn't possibly happen on the South Fork. And uh, I I just wonder, so there's no kick, uh, are you seeing a kickback from anywhere? Because usually there's talk about impact on schools and all of that, but are, are people in Riverhead just I thought ready, you were talking about it, somebody getting money under the table. I thought so. It was like, are you talking about pork here? What's going on? <laughs> no, um, no. So no, I wonder, but far, I wonder, are you, are you here? Like as far as downtown goes, you know, you were like the Main Street area, you were asking about a plan. That hasn't been updated since 2003. And they're doing a new master plan that's going to include that, but it's still, you know, getting underway. Um and as far as pushback, yeah, there's quite a bit of pushback. I mean, you know, um, both in terms, I mean, the school board has come out against these apartments, um, various local residents, people just, you know, there's just things like, oh, my God, there's a five story building here. You know, you know the, whole, the Historical Society was was really up, upset about the court street. They, they were not happy with that proposal. Um, and, you know, people are just like it's a big change in, in a downtown that had, you know, two story buildings and right. some of them, you know, dating back to the 18th century. Um, and so, you know. It's a it's a big change. And um, it so sounds that, like Riverhead's it's a transformational time for Riverhead. It's not like Hatchog. I mean, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. hatchog has been totally transformed. Yeah. Yeah. I was. But I think generally. No, I was going to say I was just in Patchogue a couple of days ago, and I mean, it kind of seems inevitable to me that that Riverhead is going to go through that. And I might make some people angry by by saying that. But, you know, I when I go to Riverhead, I, I like the the what they're doing on the riverfront. And I love seeing the sculpture that, you, you know, that you can walk through and mm-hmm. seeing that. I think they've done a, a really great job with I think it. There are plenty of people that do, actually. I mean, of course, I don't. I mean, I don't live in Riverhead and I don't live in downtown and I don't have that kind of attachment. But as a visitor, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go to Dark Horse. Let's go like, you know, let's walk along the Peconic, you know, waterfront. It's so pretty. I do live in I do live in Riverhead and I and I do live, you know, close to the downtown area. And I don't I don't mind it so much now. 
Um, I, as as it, as it keeps getting getting built up, I, you know, I, I wonder about it and the environment and all that. But but I think it it, it becomes a really walkable um, downtown area. And I think you know the more that the more that that you put there, then you know then you're going to see you know that you've, you've got the vibrant theater there, and you've got some really nice restaurants there, and 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 all of that grows as well when when you build the housing. So I'm I'm a little. I, would, I wouldn't mind, like, I'll, I'll put my own personal opinion in here, and it's, the, and it's this. I, I, I'm not offended by the, those, these buildings at all. I really am not. I mean, it may be that, you know, I, I sort of halfway grew up in the city, and then I lived in the city. And, I mean, they're not shocking to me. Like, they're not, I don't feel like they're really that out of place. I well, they're, they're not 15-story, you know, yeah. buildings. That would be a different and, thing. But but without getting too wonky, I think that the town has proceeded in a way with this where they haven't paid enough attention to the infrastructure that's needed to support this. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's, that's there, are, no. yeah, right. there are water issues, there are sewer issues, there are plenty of traffic issues, there's parking, you know, we have a parking district and they don't have to provide on-site parking for their for their buildings, for the residents. It wasn't intended for apartments, you know, so... Like, and and all they kept saying was, "Oh, we want, we look forward to having a parking problem." Like, how is that (laughs) a plan? You know, that's not a that's not a good way, Bridget. You had no. I was I was going to say something uh, along those lines. It's like you know, it's it walking along the riverfront now is is such a pleasure, and I, you know, remember it like yesterday, like driving from Amagansett to Sweezy's to buy baby clothes for Georgia. And like, you know, I wouldn't have done that after after dark. I mean, it was just it was a, it was a kind of a, you know, a rundown area. And I, and I really remember that. I mean, there was, you know, it, it just was not it was not nice to, you know, and I remember it was to, it was downtown revitalization. I mean, that was yeah. the point. Bring Have people live downtown. They're going to want to shop and things are going to follow. And I I don't think that the, that's a wrong headed idea at all. And I think it's already beginning to work. I mean. You know, people don't like change. And, you know, but in this case, that what you're not changing from was, as you described, Bridget, a place that you wouldn't want to hang out at, like, you know. And um, I have to point out that Patchog is regularly cited by local officials as an example of how to do this right. So um, the idea of allowing more development in some of the villages uh, has worked out well in Patchog and sounds like it's it's on the path there in Riverhead as well. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, my co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panel is Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, uh, Bridget Leroy of the James Lane Post, and Steve Coates from our own newspapers at the Express News Group. Uh, uh, before, before you move on, Joe, I just want to remind uh, the listeners that 88.3 WLIWFM is listener-supported. Um, and is celebrating uh, the end of summer with a special campaign currently. Um, so they continue can continue to bring um, you your favorite programs of music information and inspiration throughout the year, like behind the headlines. So if you are enjoying listening to 88.3 WLIWFM, now is the perfect time to show your support. So you can donate by calling them at 1-800-262-0717 or going online at WLIW.org and be sure to check out their great thank you guests this year. 
and become a sustaining member. It's really important. I mean, I think uh, this show is all about local media and local uh, conversations like this. And WLIW is a big part of that now. And we uh, really hope you'll help support that. Uh, Bridget, uh, are we going to have a Tumbleweed Tuesday this week? Uh, <laughs> no. Is that, is that a thing of the past now? Or, or, are we going to just roll right into September with the same group of people, more or less, who are here right now? I think, you know, I think it's been that way for a while, actually, you know, and then COVID only kind of solidified the fact that there is no such thing as Tumbleweed, Tumbleweed Tuesday anymore, which for anyone who's listening, who's new to the area, Tumbleweed Tuesday used to be able to lie down on Main Street in East Hampton and take a nap on the day after, like right in the middle of the street on the day after Labor Day. Everybody like vamoosed. And that is just not happening anymore. But I do have to um, say that you know, we may have our road problems, we may have our housing problems, but we have no shortage of entertainment and arts. And um, there's a few things that have been going on. I, I just wanted to give a shout out because it's really interesting. Uh, this past weekend, last weekend, they had Stroman Presents at Guild Hall. And uh, I know I'm going off on a tangent here. This wasn't something we were going to discuss, but it's interesting because there's just so there's everything is sold out. I mean, everything is selling. Uh, Camelot at Bay Street. Um, the, they the, added shows at, for, for Camelot, right? On the, and they added shows for Camelot. Yeah, in, yeah, through this weekend. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and the Southampton Arts Center has the Hampton Art Fair going on this this weekend, and there's and Parish has stuff going on. I mean, all of the institutions out here are just just have so much like really sizzling stuff. I actually I have a piece in. Um, this month's James Lane Post. I love saying this month. I don't work as hard as you guys. <laughs> <laughs> this month's James Lane Post. Um, I interviewed Michelle Brooks, who's actually Mel Brooks's daughter-in-law. There's a show going on next weekend, which has, I mean, it's called Hitler's Tasters, which sounds like it should be a comedy. And it's actually not. It's a, it's a true story about these girls who were kind of drafted. Food tasters, right? Yeah. Who were Hitler's food tasters. And it just sounds so fascinating. And so there's just like so much going on. I, I'm kind of almost almost sorry that I live like, you know, way west of the canal, but not not as sorry when it comes to traffic and housing and farm fields. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so much going on on the East End. It's like, oh my gosh, I have to be out there all the time. I mean, they, and it does they, sort of roll into September. Yeah, yeah. And the great news is, uh, speaking of like gateways of the Hamptons, is Stargazer has... Uh, Michelle Troring wrote about it in uh, Southampton Press about uh, the Stargazer, which everybody sees as kind of the unofficial gateway to the Hamptons, received a hundred thousand dollar grant to uh, get get kind of re redressed. The old the old lady's going to get a new outfit. So yeah, yeah. So, Bill, that yeah. was a big development, right? We we wrote about that this week that uh, they were looking for somebody. They needed a white knight to step forward and and come up with some money to try and uh, try and get get uh, Stargazer for folks. And it's the, it's right off of one eleven in now it's Eastport, right? It's, it's Eastport. 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 Yeah. Which we, we, had confusing, we keep confusing with with Manorville because that's obviously the road to Manorville and, and in the Manorville. Yes, there was there was one person that stepped forward, I think, anonymously with a one hundred thousand dollar grant to help um, to help that effort. They had also raised a bit of money through 
um, through through a GoFundMe campaign. We had actually we had had a a, a podcast, a twenty seven speaks podcast about it. I, I think last year at some point. Um, you know, during recent storms, the the the, uh, the stargazer, which is which is for for those um, not familiar with it, is is actually a deer head pulling a branch. And we had a long discussion for years. I thought it was yeah. a, a chicken. Um, and, and, think- and in Michelle's story, she says <laughs> it's an antler. And my daughter, Georgia, called it chicken heart. So whenever we right. pass it, we still call it chicken heart. I right. don't know. But now, yeah, I, it actually was not anonymous. Like, I'm sorry, I just want to say the, the donation was not anonymous. It was actually from the main, I think it's pronounced Maine's American Peace Prize Foundation. Right, and right, right. Uh, our, Dr. Maine's is actually being, I've, I've forgotten his last name now. I mean, his first name, but um, he is being honored uh, this weekend by it's the- Harvey. Uh, his, Harvey. His name's Harvey Maines. Dr. Harvey, Harvey like Maines, the, yes. Like the rabbit. Okay. And Dr. Maines is being honored at the um, Hamptons Art Fair at Southampton Arts Center for, I mean, I think probably for this donation. I mean, that's an enormous, uh, and David Morris, who uh, was Linda Scott's partner, she's now deceased, the artist, uh, but he helped build it. He's he's just over the moon. He's so happy that this legacy will continue. Yeah, I mean, it's- For, 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 it's, 30, for another 30 years, um, he hopes, which I think- I really think that, that it was in danger of, of going away because it, it's been in terrible shape here for the last year or so. Uh, and he taught, we wrote an article not long ago about the challenge of getting it sort of together for the future. Um, it's not an easy piece of art to, to, it wasn't designed to last generations. It was meant to be a temporary piece. Um, so it'll, it'll take at least six figures to stabilize a little bit. But getting back to the original conversation, Steve, you live in Bridgehampton and you've lived in Bridgehampton for a while and you've seen some evolution there. Do you think that we're going to see an exodus of people in the next week, or do you think this is the new the new normal for the region that we're just we're just going to have a lot more people out here and they're not going to be quite as seasonal? I think every time we have a crisis, the the, the number of people staying goes up. Not uh, a crisis or a you know or technological boom like the internet. You know, internet nine eleven uh, the the fallout from the, you know, the, the economic collapse of 2008. So I think this is just another one. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do think it'll, it's going to abate a little bit it's not, as, as COVID abates. I mean, uh, I wonder I, if COVID will, will keep a lot of people here right now, though, because of not, the trends we're talking about. If, if COVID had sort of faded by now, I think maybe you'd see a lot more people making the, making the, the return to the city. But it... Yeah, and I, I use, I have a, my little gauge. Um, I walk my dog on a quiet subdivision, a little loop. And you, during the winter, there's about roughly 35 houses and there would be in the winter, there might be three or four would be occupied all week. Um, last winter, probably 31 or 32 of the 30, you know, four or 35 were, were occupied. So everyone was occupied. And, um, as I'm going through it now, you know, they're all busy, but you know, let's find out after Labor Day, I'll report back next week. (laughs) I'm really intrigued to find out. Bridget, you, you talked about, I, I remember when we first moved out here 20 some years ago, 
Um, the, my first Tumbleweed Tuesday was really eye-opening because I heard people talk about this, that, that, um, and I remember the exodus on Monday, you know, the number of cars just backed up heading, heading, uh, West. Um, but, uh, I haven't seen nearly that level of change. And I, I do think it definitely September and October is always sort of known as the locals time out here because the weather stays nice and you, you sort of are able to enjoy things without the crowds. But I don't think that's going to be true. Denise, you. That, that, I was going to say, I don't think that's not been true on the North Fork for quite some time because right. that's when like the fall starts. All the pumpkin yeah. people come. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jana calls them corn stalkers. Yeah, so it's like you know, it gets crazier. Actually, it's a busier season over here than the than the summer. So, and I mean, we have a taste of that with Hank's Pumpkin Town uh, in Watermill uh, that just turns into, I think, the third largest tourist attraction after Niagara Falls. And uh, <laughs> really? no, 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 I'm kidding. Bridget. That, that's not a, that's not that is not a real statistic. I, you know, I, I know I know people complain about Hank's, but try taking a drive on Sound Avenue uh -huh. um, on, a, right. on, a, on a Sunday in, in September or October. And you just yeah. you I mean, might you as well pack a lunch. To pick your owns and the uh, and the hay rides and and then of course the wineries. Too. The wineries are still busy. I'm even getting a little taste of I'm getting a little taste of that with Water Drinker up here, which is wonderful, and I'm thrilled that it's it's right here off uh you know off of exit whatever it is 69 or 68. <laughs> I don't even know. I just know this is the way I go home. But uh, yeah, I mean it's just so crowded now. There's just cars parked all the way down, especially uh, in the fall. They have a corn maze or you know pumpkin picking, all of that. But it's also that's you know that's the trade off for living in a beautiful area sure. you know and it's always been that way and uh you know when i when i lived up in new hampshire and there was a big snowfall we'd call it white gold you know because it would bring the tourists to ski and it would it would give the businesses a bump so you know especially after i mean we have to put it in perspective and say that especially after covid with all of the businesses that had to close down you know maybe they need that extra double shot that we're going to get this fall if, if they can, if they can keep, if they can keep their businesses staffed, that is, yeah, if staffing yeah, is sure. still a really big issue right now. And you'll Huge. have, you'll have kids going back to school who may have been uh, working some jobs and in, in some some businesses. But that's true. But I, I also wanted to mention, Joe. So so we had um, uh, we had a story this week about uh, school enrollment numbers, which may be an indicator of um, you know what what the fall and, and winter is going to look like. And while there were a couple communities that saw increased numbers that looked like most of them had remained steady. And I think last year, a lot of um, city kids who had come out here with their parents um, continued their enrollment in the city while they worked remotely. And so we were wondering if there was going to be a big influx of people registering, um, you know, on, on, on the South Fork. And, and you know, the East Quag and, and, and one other community in, in, in I think it was, it was either Wayne Scott or Amagansett saw um, you know, saw a bit of a bump coming into this year, but other than that, it looked pretty steady. So I, I don't know if that, what, what kind of indicator that is, but I, I don't, it's, it's not like a, a huge jump. COVID's kind of changed everything, hasn't yeah. it? No question. Uh, it's behind the headlines, WLIWFM. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. Uh, we're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today, Denise Civiletti, Riverhead Local, uh, Bridget Leroy of the James Lane Post, and Steve Coates from our newspapers at the Express News Group. Um, Steve, real briefly, um, 
last topic I want to talk about marijuana and cannabis businesses and how that is going to evolve in the next um, five to 10 years in New York state. You actually were uh, in East Hampton this week uh, for, uh, for a, uh, an expo of the industry, right? It was a yeah. cannabis expo that was held that brought together some of the local businesses and some of the, some of the bigger uh, businesses uh, talking about the future of this industry. Well, the first thing is I went to it pretty cold because um, uh, I didn't, you know, this is the, the this, this is the third, third time in four years they've held one of these things. And um, I, I just knew what I read in an advance about it. And um, it was a very interesting mashup between like the, uh, you know, Betty's, Betty's brownies and, uh, <laughs> buttoned up uh, capital, uh, capital advisors. Right. And the thing that struck me the most, you know, was that there was a lot of big money there, you know, and. Um, yeah. um, it's a budding industry. It's uh, oh, God. That was a harsh joke. <laughs> However, I, but it's true. This is an industry that's kind of in its infancy. And, and if you can get in now with, with, with uh, capital, uh, there really is kind of a sky's the limit aspect to it. I'm afraid. Sky. Yes. The sky. <laughs> These oh things God. write themselves. <laughs> but clearly. <laughs> the business report, they're going to say, you know, and, and cannabis stocks drifted higher today. And, you know, <laughs> well, who is, so how many, how many businesses were represented at the expo? Was it dozens or was it? Probably about, 25 or 30 different booths. And then there were these, you know, panel discussions where the people who, you know, who are, you know, like um, collecting money, you know, and investing money, uh, they talked about stuff that's, that's beyond my pay grade. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a financier by any means. Um, but it was, it's, it's, it's very fascinating because you know, there's there's the two sides of it. One is the medicinal side, and um, which is something that went right by me um, until a couple of years ago. I, my hip was hurting very badly, and I was in Nashville with my wife, and um, and she suggested I take some CBD infused tea, which took you know it didn't cure what turned out to be a back problem, but it it took the edge off the pain that I was experiencing, which allowed me to, you know, trot around Nashville all day for, for two days, actually each, each, I went each morning and got this tea. So I'm, I'm sort of a believer on that front. Um, but then the other side of course is the recreational side and that until they get these, until they get the regulations set um, and, and we find out where it's going to be allowed and where it's not going to be allowed. Um, that's uh, you know, I, I, that's still a mystery to me. Um, mm -hmm. Bridget, you want to say something? Oh, I think there's actually three sides. I mean, I agree with everything Steve just said. Um, there's the medicinal side, which, you know, people are passionate, passionate about. And I agree with Steve. I also, um, at, before I had my hip surgery, I had a, a medical marijuana card and um, and I took drops, uh, sublingual uh, drops, and it would just kill the pain. I mean, it was amazing. I was... I was not a believer. I was totally a skeptic. And even recently, whenever I get a something, if I put it topically, um, 
you know, the stuff I get from from Dave Falkowski there, it just takes away like any kind of arthritic pain I have just topically. So it's amazing. So there is the medicinal part. There's the recreational part, of course. And then there's also the profits. I mean, there are the people who just approach this as being a, a good investment, the future. Um, and it's the same. It's probably the same people who started Pfizer or Moderna or, you know, those the, the people who see it as being. Uh, just a, let's just say a green, you know, <laughs> there you go. Um, De- Denise, we got about a minute left. Riverhead is, is positioned to play a big role in this moving forward, right? I'm busy thinking of a pun. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, what do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, there's a, there's a large grower um, that's, you know, taking root out at, um, I feel like Riverhead's been been at the forefront of this from the start. They yeah. they were so we have, the first we have, a, we have a medical marijuana dispensary on East Main Street for quite mm-hmm. some time now, um, and they that same company just bought uh, a large greenhouse operation uh, on Sound Avenue where they're going to be growing it. And um, Riverhead, Riverhead didn't chose not to opt out too, right? Riverhead, yeah, they voted down an opt out an opt out law, so. They're going to allow it. Like- it's going to be allowed, but question is where. Um, there's been talk about allowing it only in industrially zoned areas, <laughs> which is something I'm I don't quite understand. But I think um, it's because the the growing operations for marijuana are, tend to be warehouse type operations rather than you don't see fields of waving marijuana plants you you, you do on on butter lane (laughs) but you can't sell it where you grow it from my understanding of what the loss is so i you know that's fascinating i don't know how that works but i you know it's going to be a huge impact on the local economy i think in the next 10 years so we're going to have to leave it there because we're almost out of time uh, so I want to thank our panelists, uh, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local. Thank you, Denise. Thank you. Uh, Bridget Leroy of the James Lane Post. Thank you, Bridget. Thanks again. And, for and our own Steve Coates from the Express News Group. Thank you, Steve. You're welcome. Bill Sutton, my co-host. Thank you, as always, for running the controls. Sure. Great show. And remember, if you're if you're enjoying Behind the Headlines and other shows on WLIWFM 88.3, You can show your support this week um, by making a donation at 1-800-262-0717 or going online at WLIW.org. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the co-host with Bill, and I'm a sustaining member of WLIW-FM. I hope you'll be one, too. Thank you, guys. Great show. Uh, We'll see you next week. 